0: nagging naturalist it's the nagging naturalist podcast
1: hey everyone and welcome to the nagging naturalist podcast this podcast discusses animals how they benefit our society and our planet the threats they face and what we can do to protect them i'm your host Kristen, and i'm a naturalist by trade if you want to know more about my background check out my first episode who is the nagging naturalist So this month, we've been a little different than usual. Instead of focusing on an animal of the month, we've been focusing on a group of animals, which is arachnids. In particular, we have been focusing on spiders, although other types of arachnids have popped up occasionally. And that's primarily because most people are pretty familiar with spiders in general. So for this episode, I had the chance to sit down and talk with Dr. Sebastian Alejandro Echiveri. He was absolutely delightful to interview, but unfortunately, he was on a bit of a time crunch due to some scheduling conflicts that occurred. (laughs) But it was really cool. And I think he has some really cool perspectives and a lot of enthusiasm for spiders that for listeners who may not necessarily like spiders a lot, his passion and enthusiasm can be a a little bit contagious. (laughs) So hopefully people who listen get to not just learn about spiders, but also learn about how charismatic spiders can be and how you don't necessarily have to be a spider scientist in order to appreciate spiders. But anyway, let's go ahead and dive on into this interview. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited to talk about spiders. Yeah, Um, I'm
0: really happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yes, and I was so excited when you introduced me to October I didn't really have plans for October until you said that, and then suddenly all of my plans fell into
0: place. Oh, yeah. I'm. It's September 30th when we're recording this, so tomorrow for me is going to be like, all right, let's get to see what everyone's doing in terms of spiders. I'm so excited.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I am super excited because you post mm-hmm. such amazing spider content. And Thank you. Oh, yes. I love them so much, I, especially since I already had a love for jumping spiders. They're the most common types of spiders I see, and my my heart like leaps every time you post really cute videos and pictures of jumping spiders.
0: They're the best. They're so much fun.
1: And so it's was, it was interesting, too, because you actually did PhD work with them. Mm-hmm. So you have your PhD in ecology and evolution, and in particular, you did your dissertation on the behavioral ecology, and I hope I say this genus right, of Habronautus jumping yes, spiders?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, score for I, me. The, the
0: thing about scientific names is if you say it confidently, it's fine. Like, the, the, <laughs> there's no correct pronunciation for half of them because they're, like, mishmashes of different languages. So just say it and we'll, everyone will kind of figure out what you mean.
1: Oh, that's, that's good advice, especially for a lot of us <laughs> who, like, you know, obviously, the species that I focus on a lot, it's easy for me to know their genus and species mm-hmm. names and whatnot because I say them all the time. But as I do these podcast interviews and I kind of go outside of my comfort zone, I have learned that, you know, I, sometimes I'll say the names a couple of times. And once I find something I like, it's like, just say yeah. them and stick with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I say Habernatus. They're, if you want to call them by their common name, they're often called the paradise jumping spiders. Ooh. Uh, kind of a play on birds of paradise because they have these, <laughs> just like those animals, they are really diverse and the males are incredibly colorful and ornamented and they do these like over the top courtship performances for the females. Oh. I yeah, love that really too. Cool. I
1: love their behaviors. They are just so endearing. So like describe your journey on how yeah. you got into this career field and this really cool research you got to do for your dissertation.
0: Yeah, I, I never thought that I'd grow up to be a spider scientist. Like I grew up as um, I was born in Columbia, I, my family came to the United States when I was like two or three um, and I grew up in New York City and like I always loved science and nature but my main connection to that was through TV so I'd like watch like you know back when like science, Nate, uh, National Geographic and Animal Planet actually like show documentaries with science content. Um, there was a time uh, and it was <laughs> the, the 90s. <laughs> yeah and so I just watched those all day because like in my day to day world, I, you know, the impression that I got was like, I'm in the city, there's not really animals around. It's, you know, this urban space. Later, I learned that I was wrong and there are cool animals around, but we'll get to that. Um, so, but I knew I liked animals. I like nature. Um, but when I was thinking of like, oh, what do I want to do? You know, all the people that I saw on TV, like Steve Irwin, Bill Nye, the science guy, who are, you know, really big Uh, science heroes for me, I guess, right? Especially Steve Irwin, like I'd see a lot of people, but they were all white, old white guys for the most part. And it was, there was like this disconnect that I wasn't fully aware of until much later where like I didn't really see myself being a scientist because I never saw anyone who was a scientist that looked like me. Um, And it wasn't until like halfway through my undergrad that I started to change and I started to like pursue science as a career. I went back and forth before that like when I applied to college I was like oh maybe I'll be an architect because I took one architecture class thing in high school and kind of liked it um then I was like maybe I'll be an engineer there was a point where everyone was telling me I should be a veterinarian because that's what the job for people who like who are good at science uh but don't want to be a doctor and like animals instead um and I, I volunteered at some veter- vet clinics and i for many reasons, most of them dealing with people. <laughs> that was not what I wanted to do. And yes, yeah, so I had no idea. And then in undergrad, I I actually got to take some like more animal science uh, behavior, so animal behavior type courses. So, But it was mostly on um, birds, so ornithology. I took, then that was kind of my introduction into like, oh, maybe I can do this as a career. And like, these are really interesting animals. They're doing really weird things. And studying animal behavior is a job that people can have. Um, And so my first research experience was um, with these sociable weaver birds. There's these tiny little like sparrow-sized birds all throughout mostly southern Africa that build these giant communal nests that are sometimes big enough that they will topple trees. Whoa. And in some places they they build them on like electrical poles and then they are causes of outages um, because they build them so big. And there was a researcher named Gavin Layden at the University of Miami who was studying like who, which, you know, cause this is a group of birds living together, basically building a giant bird apartment building and he's wondering okay who in this colony is actually helping how much are they helping to build and why are some individuals doing more than others um and so i got to go with gavin to namibia for two months and i went from like doing very little actual science to just like being in the field for two months observing birds which was really really cool but it was also like a big like like all right i'm in i'm in this and that was a ton of fun, but I'm still studying birds. And like, I saw like, you know, a spider here and I was, oh was cool. They were really scared of them, but everything kind of changed for me when I was applying to grad school. I was applying to grad school and I thought I had this like misconception in my head because I didn't know any scientists besides that one scientist I work with. And you know, it, the, the, this is a thing I've heard from other people who are the first generation scientists in the family like grad school applications are really weird and it's hard to say like that whole process is like obtuse I think on purpose. Um, So I didn't know that you could apply to study things that were different from what you had like what your previous experience was in and so I was only looking at like bird behavior labs and social behavior labs because that's I just thought I was like oh no I I did this one thing once and that's what I do because that's the only thing I know about so in the process of applying to grad school, I was actually interviewing with a different lab at University of Pittsburgh. But as part of grad school interviews, you meet with a bunch of professors in the department. And I met with Dr. Nathan Morehouse, who I had seen his website. And I was like, ah, eh, you know, he stu-, like all the website said was studied butterflies. But he was like, oh, by the way, I'm also looking at like starting some projects with like spiders. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Like I was just there, like, just kind of like a general interview for the department to like evaluate me as a candidate. And then there was a video that changed my life. And it was a video of a jumping spider dancing. And I had seen jumping spiders before at like, you know, my scale, the scale that we often see them where they're just like a tiny little speck and they like hop around and I'm like, oh, that's, that's fine. It's a little spider, okay. And this was a macro video. So it was zoomed in, you know, the animal was huge on screen And this is, like, it's a colorful spider and it's doing, like, a musical dance performance. Like, it's skittering back and forth and the arms are moving and it's, like, pulling up different legs. And, like, I found out they're, like, they're singing, too, while they're doing this, the ground. And I was, like, I stood up and I was, like, what is this? I need to know more. This is amazing. I had no idea. And through a bunch of other things, eventually, I basically ended up in that lab Uh, working on these spiders uh, for my PhD and but PhD like itself was a bit of a roller coaster but that was my introduction to jumping spiders and like from there I got hooked on them and then from them it's just like okay whoa there are other spiders that do really cool stuff and now I'm just all about spiders and all arachnids now that's so cool
1: (laughs) oh my goodness I love, I love that story so much because I feel like my story is kind of similar as far as, you know, like you said, uh, in urban settings, wildlife mm-hmm. can be limited. But one of the most common kinds of wildlife we might see, aside from things like birds, are insects and other yep. invertebrates like arachnids. And I remember my first time seeing a jumping spider and I remembered reading about their courtships mm-hmm. and their interesting behaviors and how they make displays. And so I pulled out a pocket mirror and showed this jumping spider one day, it's reflection. And it put its little legs up and started making the display. I don't know what kind of display, but yeah. it made a display. And I was just like,
0: <gasps> Often when you do the mirror to another spider, they're doing an antagonistic display. So they're basically, mm-hmm. uh, it's like a fight, kind of a social contest. And because the, they're seeing themselves, So it's usually male see. And then they see another male and they're like, whoa, there's another male here. Here, I got to scare him off. And so like, who are you? What are you doing? Thing. What are you up to? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're so cool. And, like, that's the thing. These animals were always around me. Like, I went back home after I started my PhD, and, like, I went to the tree in front of my house in, in Queens, and I lifted up a piece of bark, and I found a jumping spider. And I lifted up another piece of bark, and I found a pseudoscorpion. I haven't seen a pseudoscorpion since then, and I regret not photographing it better, but I didn't know much about photography at the time these animals are literally everywhere that, you know, in cities, in rural areas, every mix in between, you can get like hundreds of species, you know, in a neighborhood, in a park, dozens in your backyard. You just have to like be aware that they are an option for animal. Right. And I wasn't aware of that as a kid because most of the animal and like wild nature stuff I would see would be like Oh yeah big mammals in Africa or like snakes and birds which are all very cool animals in their own part but you know invertebrates are what what is it like 80 90 percent of animal species
1: yeah like our Um, biodiversity is basically just invertebrates and then the occasional vertebrate
0: (laughs) yeah exactly and so once you like accept that and you can see all these tiny animals then like your world opens up in this really cool way And that was like a big transformation for me. Now everywhere I go, I'm like, I'm on spider vision. I'm just like watching stuff.
1: Well, and what's really cool is it's not just something from your research or from your PhD Mm -hmm. days. Like this has influenced your artwork and advocacy because I have one of your lovely Black Lives Matter spiders, which was such a cool design. And I was like, I never imagined seeing an invertebrate because, you know, there's, there's been lots of incarnations of artwork that people have done for mm-hmm. Black Lives Matters to help bring awareness, especially within su- certain groups, and I have never seen it associated with invertebrates of any kind, and I was so excited when I saw your yeah. cute stickers.
0: Thank you. I'm glad you like them. Yeah, so for for the audio listener, um, you know, this is back, my, I finished my PhD, which I guess I should say, because it is kind of relevant, I, I studied how these spiders get each other's attention when they're trying to communicate an important message. So just like us, these spiders have eyes and eyes have limitations. Basically what you're looking at, what you're like turning your eyes or your body towards, that's what your brain is dedicating resources to paying attention to and decoding the information in that signal or dance or, you know, for us it's often like text on a page. Uh, so that we can integrate it, understand it, you know, evaluate it. And this is something that we do naturally as humans, and because of that we often just assume that animals are doing in the same way. But I was curious about, you know, whether these jumping spiders, when a male is dancing, how often is a female actually looking at his colors, as opposed to looking somewhere else and attending to other important things in her life, and what males can do to get her attention. And so that was to cover briefly the, 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 what I studied in my PhD. And I defended my thesis on May 22nd. And just a few days later, the protests for the Black Lives Matter movement really started uh, happening around the country. And it was this really strange period of my life where like I, I expected to feel like, all right, I'm done and like, the struggles of my PhD is over. But everything that I was seeing was telling me, you know, I mean, kind of what I already knew, but even more so of there are bigger problems happening right now than science. And even though spiders are cool, there are bigger things that we should pay attention to besides, you know, a dancing jumping spider. And I had this feeling of like, well, I don't, I was unemployed. I just finished my degree. I had some funding that had just dried up, and I didn't have a lot of money to donate myself, but I had seen a few other people doing things to try to incentivize donations from others. Um, And so I designed this little design of a dancing jumping spider with the Black Lives Matter logo on its abdomen. And I picked the species because I drew a real spider. This is a Habernatus decorus, the decorated jumping spider. It's in the same genus that I study, and it actually lives in Pennsylvania and kind of the region where I'm at and other parts of the country as well. They're one of the few of the Habernatus jumping spiders that actually raise their abdomen in the air and wave it side to side when they're dancing, kind of like a peacock spider, which a lot of people have seen. Those are Australian, Habernatus are in the Americas. And they do that and You know artistically i think that that felt really that was a nice place to put the the logo and i wanted something that like represented a real animal but also you know this species like many animals including humans there are they there are some that look different from others even though they're the same species there's a morph of this species that is kind of gray uh with a pink abdomen and then there's another morph that is a dark gray or black body with a pink abdomen. Uh, and they're both equally valid, amazing spiders. There's just some of them in some places look different than others and that's it. Same thing as with a lot of you know, visual variations where it's just a superficial variation within two you know, equally human or equally jumping spider individuals. Uh, and so for that reason, I felt like this was a really good fit for that message for me even though that's not something that I, you know, it, it, that part of the story is less important. It's more about getting that message out there. Um, but for me, that, that's why I picked that species in particular, because um, I like having that connection to the actual animal's life. And so I made these stickers. Uh, I just spent some of my money to get them printed out as stickers. And then I asked people, you know, donate to Black Lives Matter, to other organizations, to your local bail funds. And if you do, and you send me a receipt, I will send you a sticker. For every $5 that you donate, you can request one more sticker. Um, And so throughout the summer, that's what I've been doing. And people like, I'm really lucky. I was, you know, really hoping I would just get $5 per sticker, but some people like went above and beyond. We've given, or I've given out about, trying to remember the exact number from the two runs. I think we're at 250 stickers given out and raised just under five thousand dollars to a bunch of different organizations which has really been phenomenal you know like seeing people putting their resources and like it's been yeah it's been great it's at least makes me feel like i'm doing something you know besides just going to protests and being loud on the internet some way to contribute to fixing the problems of systemic racism police of our current government in some ways, you know, I, I don't, you know, uh, there are people who's out there doing way, 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 way more. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm in any way like baking a splash, but it is a, it is a thing that at least gave me some feeling of like, okay, I did something, I guess.
1: I feel I feel like that's not fair to you because I mean, there's only so much we can do with the platforms that we have and, the, and with the abilities that we have. You know, I'm never going to be able to spend millions of dollars fixing any serious serious social structural issues in this country or anything mm-hmm. like that. I can't I can't like start an institute or a nonprofit and just expect it to be successful and to solve entire issues. Like it's one of those things where we deal with the cards that are dealt to us and we take the tools and the skills that we have and we try our best to apply it in a way that is hopefully helpful. And I think that what you did was appropriate. Like if you were not in a financial place where you could give you know, like you said, you've made like, around, you said like $5,000. Like I can, I can't donate $5,000 to Black Lives Matter or or other related charities. But it's really amazing that what you did instead was instead of going, oh, I can't donate money. So I feel like I can't do anything. You turned that around and said, well, what do I have to offer? And how can I apply that in a way that is going to help give the financial support to institutes that support Black Lives? And I I mean, that's, that's really cool. That's, I, I think you sell yourself short in saying that because, you know, it's one thing when somebody with, you know, 70 or hundred K followers says, Hey, donate to this. And then they raise a bunch of money. Like that's, that's great that you used your big platform to do that. But for those of us on tiny platforms, sometimes it is really hard to make a big dent. And I, cannot say that I have done anything so far that has raised five thousand dollars in charity that's amazing that's a really cool thing that you did and uh thank
0: you
1: I'm excited to have been a part of that because I'm still trying to I'm still trying to find my own way of doing this I already told you about the the project I'm working on on the side Mm -hmm. and I've worked really hard to try to highlight more uh black scientists to really uh their voices forward, but I'm a tiny platform. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm still trying to work on also building my platform so that I can try to make a bigger impact. Because for me, it's not important that I have followers simply because it's fun to have followers. It's important for me to have followers because I feel like there are important messages to share and the more followers you have, Absolutely. the easy it is to share those messages. So for me, it's not quite the popularity contest so much as it is trying to make a difference in the world like you mm-hmm. are doing. So I think that's amazing. Well, thank you.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think at this time that this is out, I have like one or two more stickers, um, but we're, I'm basically done on the run. It, it was a lot of personal time and like keeping track and re-promoting it, but mm. I'm hoping to, once I have a little bit of, you know, t- take some time for myself and maybe have, um, get some job applications in, find another way to keep, make this a more continuous process, because it is not, it, the, the, the response that I've seen from people has been really great, <laughs> and it's, it's nice to see the stickers out in the wild, you know, people will be <laughs> promoting them and everything. Um, I when artists say that when they
1: say they see their artwork out in the wild. It gives yeah. me so much joy to hear that, as, that like, association
0: with their artwork. I would see someone, someone would, like, put on their Instagram stories, like, them at a protest with a stick, like, with the, on their water bottle. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I want to see is, you know, people who not only have been donating, but, like, are also going out and and speaking up. And, yeah, I think that, like, it's great that, I've been able to see, despite all the horrible things that continue to happen, I do get to see a lot of Black scientists and a lot of allies speak up and use what they have to fight for justice and equity. And, like, that's nice. It's good to know that there are people on, you know, the the side of, uh, on the good side, I guess, yeah.
1: For all of the horrors of this year, I think that the reactions to what's happened and some of the things that have happened. And I've discussed this on previous podcasts where it's like, we have like these parallel timelines happening of the horrible things that are happening and then the positive things that have resulted from the horrors and 2020 is going to go down as this year of absolute disaster, but also it's been like the year of black excellence, which Mm -hmm. even though we've had Black Lives Matter protests for years, I don't feel like we've had an impact the way we have this year in previous years. And it's been absolutely amazing seeing people taking their platforms and creating these very positive movements.
0: Yeah,
1: And it's been, I've learned so much more. Like it's one of those things where, Yes, I can go out and do my own research and read articles and stuff, but it's something completely different to sit down and talk to people and listen to their stories mm-hmm. and connect with them on a human level. And this year has really let that happen with all the live streams and the people making posts and taking over accounts yeah. and doing podcasts. It's, oh, it's, It's been so incredible. And I've been, through all the horror, I've been so happy to have been even a small part of that because... I think it's going to be so important as we head into 2021 to keep that energy going and to, I know, I don't want to think about it yet either.
0: You just reminded me that 2021 is a thing that will exist soon. (laughs)
1: I know. We're going to make it there, I swear. Yeah. (laughs) But I, you know, I've told several people at this point, like, I hope it's not just you know, the Black Birders Week that happened in 2020. I hope it's Black Birders Mm -hmm. Week at the same time every year and same with all the other really cool weeks we've had. Like we're going through uh, Black and Micro at the time of this recording. Mm -hmm. And there are all just these really cool weeks that keep happening. I
0: think Black and SciCom is next week as of this recording, which will be a few weeks from when (laughs) it comes out. I hope everyone showed up for Black and SciCom Week because that's going to be really good. (laughs) We're getting so sidetracked. Yeah, I, I think I think it's easy to whenever we're talking about the world outside of cool spiders. But I think <laughs> to get us back on topic, there are cool spiders in the world. They continue to exist. And I'm always happy to share things about them because sometimes, and this is what I've heard from a lot of people, uh, that's a thing that helps keep them going. And for me, certainly, like doing my photography and stuff and posting about spiders is... One of the things that I wake up in the morning for. You so also have I, I know some really you cool have some questions about spiders,
1: perhaps. I do, but I do want to make sure I don't forget to highlight that mm-hmm. you have, I discovered this recently, you have a YouTube channel with videos of some of your educational content that people yeah. can check out.
0: Yeah, so um, I, I'm currently not enough followers to get a custom URL, but if you search Spider Day Night Live on YouTube, and there'll be links to this if we can do that in the show notes. Absolutely. Um, There is a playlist there that is all the videos that I've done, most of them for other uh, channels and other organizations about uh, all my spider psychom. So I've done a video on jumping spiders for the Carnegie Museum of Natural History. I did a really fun interview for um, University of Alabama's Bug Fest, um, where it was me a professional Spider-Man cosplayer who was in character and then a like comic book expert talking about the spider science of Spider-Man, which is like one of my favorite topics. And there's a bunch of other really cool stuff uh, like live streams I've done for Skype a scientist there. It's all in a playlist that you can check out. Um, there's also my PhD dissertation, which I know we I was really brief on it here, um, but if you'd like to watch you know, the research that I've actually done and see videos of things, including jumping spiders, dancing, male jumping spiders courting a uh, dead female, (laughs) which they will do readily. Um, the rig that I created to show videos to jumping spiders by gluing magnets on their heads. Uh, that's all in that video. And trust me, you will learn a lot about human vision too, because a lot of the things that, the jumping spiders have to deal with are things that we have to deal with um, as well because they're universal problems with vision.
1: That was so amazing too because I scrolled through it. I didn't have time to watch them but because some of them are pretty long, but I looked at the one where <laughs> you put the magnets on their head. I was like, oh my god.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> It's amazing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. And so no much. jumping spiders were harmed in the process of magnetizing their heads. You can actually, we, we I designed a way that the magnets were safely adhered. And then at the end of the experiment, we removed them and the spiders lived their full natural life.
1: That's so amazing. Before anyone's worried. Oh, I I trust you. I've seen your content about spiders. I, I trust that you would do your best to do whatever you could to avert any harm to little spider friends. Yeah. Okay. So let's go ahead and dive into the fun questions because I wrote these up because I did watch part of video you did with some school children who are asking you questions and whenever I hear kids you know kids always have the best questions mm-hmm, both mm-hmm. the worst and the best
0: questions. yeah, Which, and yeah often the same question <laughs>
1: yes and so that that got my uh, my juices flowing and I was like I have some questions I wish I could have asked him if I was on that stream <laughs> so based on the spider groups or species that you are familiar with who uh-huh. has the most creative use for their web
0: Okay, very good question. Okay, so creative. So I'm going to try to, to limit this to like a creativity in terms of doing something besides what us humans would think is like a normal thing to do with the web, um, which I'm going to say is a web that is just sitting there that bugs fall into it and the spider catches them with their. So the first one that I can think of is the bolus spider. I think that's genus Mastophora. I could be getting that wrong, but they basically, they don't use their, it's not a passive web that they sit on. Uh, they actually have evolved to use their web like a weapon, an active weapon for prey capture. So it's actually one long strand of silk with a giant ball of glue at the bottom that the spider hangs on the underside side of a leaf, uh, just holding this strand of silk out. And then it releases a pheromone uh, that attracts moths because it's the same pheromone that is, I believe it attracts male moths and it's the female pheromone, it could be flipped. And then when they get nearby, the spider whips that strand of silk around like uh, like a bolus, which is an old like cowboy thing to like tangle people's legs with or you could think of, like, one of those, like, chain and flail things. And it whips it around and just slabs and, like, uh, targets the moth and, like, snatches it out of midair and, like, grabs it on that and that piece of little glob of glue at the end of the silk and just, like, pulls it in. And so that's pretty cool. That's, like, that's pretty cool. And I would say pretty, like, out there in terms of, like, web usage. I'm trying to think of other weird web things. But that one's, that one's up there.
1: I really love how you went through the trouble of also demonstrating it for me because this is all audio content and nobody's going That's to get true. to enjoy your amazing demonstration that you just did, trying to show <laughs> me how these spiders use it. I love it.
0: it it's hard not to because, like, I don't know, man. I, once you start, like, learning about spiders, they they take on, each of them has this, their own little, like, perspective or, like, style of being a spider. And it's really easy to just, like, I don't know, I like showing off what they're doing because you know it, it, it really is uh, unique. Get back to your question about web usage. I mean, there's a bunch of species that use their silk to like fly, which is it's common in in like a lot of spiders do it, but it's creative in that they are literally using silk to fly. Um, so they the spiders will like release like basically a long like kite strand of silk. Um, especially when they're small little babies. And then the winds will catch that and it will let the spider just balloon huge distances. I mean, there's spiders that have colonized different continents, different islands doing this by ballooning across oceans, you know, hundreds, thousands of miles. It's very impressive. And I would say that, is, that probably does not file under standard web usage. <laughs> Um, as like the ancestor of spiders probably used it. Who else does weird stuff with their spiders?
1: Actually, I guess I oh, should sort of webs. plug before this. I'm gonna yeah. have the episode with Dr. Alexander who did the slingshot spiders. That slingshot my mind. spiders.
0: Those are really cool because they're they're accelerating so quickly using properties of their webs. Yeah, I, I won't I won't um, I won't steal that story because I'm sure <laughs> Dr. Alexander tells it better than I do but that is a great use of spider webs. There's a lot of other ones, but I think I'm gonna go with bolus spider for my for my pick, if I had to pick one.
1: Like your favorite, okay, that's, yeah. that's fair. I, I know there's a lot, and I figured it would be one of those things where it's like, oh, how do I just choose just one? There's so many cool adaptations, but the bolus spider is a really good choice. Yeah. All right, so who has the cutest courtship behaviors, and would it be successful if it was applied to humans?
0: Okay. Cutest courtship. I'm gonna just like look, this is a this is an inherent bias that I have, but we're gonna go to jumping spiders anyway. Cause like in terms of elaborate courtship, yeah, other species do dances, they do drumming displays, tarantulas will like they'll they'll, you know, put put on a musical performance and stuff. But the jumping spiders have the whole presentation. Now, cutest, I'm gonna try to pick a not from the genus I study, not Hebronatus, and not Maratus, peacock spiders. Because I feel like we all know how cute they are. And we're at a point where the thresholds for cute... We've already passed. Everyone's like at least a 9 out of 10 for cuteness here. Uh, so I'm just going to pick some ones that stand out in my mind in how they court. The one that I can think of is the jumping spiders in the genus uh, Jotus. They're, I believe, from Australia and the rest of Oceania, kind of that region. I forget exactly what, where the genus is kind of limited to. But the the males have a paddle on their third leg pair. And the third legs are really long. And it's like a triangle-shaped like flag, almost, it looks like, at the tip of their legs. And the way that they court is kind of adorable because they're on like a leaf, right? And the female's like sitting on one side and the male will, instead of like walking up to her and like starting to dance like most jumping spiders do, he will specifically go to the bottom of the leaf or the other side that she's not on and like stick out his like long paddle arm and just kind of like wave and be like, hey, hey, I'm over here. Hey, check this out. And then as she comes to investigate, he'll like like quickly spin to the other side so that they're never really like approaching each other. And be like and like stick his other leg up and be like and start doing this like, you know, weird like puppet show almost kind of thing, like a shadow puppet thing where like you're just saying like one little part of the male spider. And there's something really adorable about that where that he's shy to the point of like I've evolved an entire thing that lets me dance for you while remaining out of view.
1: Oh be still. That I think sticks
0: out in my head, yeah.
1: (laughs) I love it. So Gosh, how would we translate that? I don't think sock puppets would work out very well in the human world. But yeah. human I mean, the concept of coyness is part of some yes, humans. I think that's
0: the right I think that's the right uh, phrase to use. You know, like all courtship, it's all very individual. What works for one species or one person might not for others, but if you like, you know, someone to be coy and to play hard. Put to get on yeah, hard to get and put on these kind of like, these show, clearly obvious shows of interest without getting all up in your face about it, that might, that this, uh, the Jodas genus of jumping spiders might be for you.
1: So you'll want to do a BuzzFeed article and have people do the <laughs> quiz and be like, what kind of jumping spider courtship works best for you?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, th- there is a huge range even within like the Habernatus genus, which is the one I study, where like, I say most of them are like this big musical performance. And then there are ones that are just like, um, there's one that I remember, the male, Hebronatus, can't remember the gene, the species name, but he basically just sticks his arms out to the side, waves them up and down once, twice, and just jumps on the female. And it's it's very direct, and it's like, you're like, you're just really going for it. You might get yourself eaten, But I guess that's what you, that's the best thing you've got. There's like barely any courtship. (laughs) Yeah, it's that sort of thing. So like for some, you know, there's a whole, like, that's the whole story about spiders. There's no one thing. They are so diverse that even within one genus, they can have the whole range of courtship strategies.
1: That is incredible. I love it. It just makes them so much more endearing. All right, so... Which spider or spider group has the most undeserved reputation, and why is it the brown recluse?
0: That's a great question because (laughs) I feel like spiders in general, everyone, you know, sadly has been taught from an early age in many cultures to be afraid and to hate these animals. You know, the brown recluse is one of the two species in North America that has venom that is strong enough that if you were to be bit, you'd have to go to the doctor. And I think for that reason, I will say that I don't think that they are the most undeserved because it is a spider that you do need to like be aware that don't antagonize it, right? But on the other hand, there are also spiders that like are recluses. They are scared of you and they want to hide as their name suggests. So they are these, ty- these kind of small, basically mostly hairless Brown spiders—they um, only have six eyes, so if you see more than eight eyes, you know you don't have a brown recluse. And they—they they usually just stay in like their web or a crevice nearby that web, and that's just they hang out there. And if anything big comes by, they hide. And you'd be surprised at how hard it is to get these—even these dangerous spiders—to bite. You know, the other dangerous type of spider, the black widow. There was actually a study on how hard or easy or hard, depending on your perspective, it is to get this animal to like actually inject you with venom. And researchers found that you basically have to take the spider, hold it in your finger, press it against your skin, and then like press down on it as if you were going to crush it for the spider to reliably even, like for there to be a good chance that they will bite you. And then even then, half of the time they don't inject venom because spiders can choose when they bite whether or not to inject venom. So like these dangerous spiders, like they are technically dangerous in the same way that a vending machine kills dozens of people per year. But that's often people rocking a vending machine and then it falls on them. So unless you take a spider, hold it against your skin and try to kill it by smooshing it, it wants to not have anything to do with you and it'll try to run away. But you know, I'll be realistic. Those are two spiders that if you saw them, Maybe keep your distance because like they could, they're, you, they're not life-threatening. Both of them go to the doctor and you're fine after a few days if you get treatment right away. And there haven't been any recorded fatalities from either brown widows or black, brown recluses or black widows. There are brown widows. Anyway, that's, anyway, <laughs> these two days, there have been recorded fatalities in I believe like decades. It's, it's a thing that one would be aware of. I would say the most undeserved reputation are things like wolf spiders. These big, you know, spiders that look nothing like a brown recluse, if you know what to look for, that people just try to eradicate when that is an animal that literally, if it bit you, like it wouldn't do anything. And so yeah, wolf spiders in particular are the ones that I've seen really victimized by this, where it's a... They can grow to be relatively large and they can be hairy. And for whatever reason, big ish hairy spider people assume they say, Oh, it's a brown recluse because we don't, we haven't been trained to know what spiders look like. When both black widows and brown recluses are relatively hairless and like really easy to ID because they have these like distinct markings or distinct features that wolf spiders don't have. But wolf spiders get so much flack, man. I see so many posts of like people being like, You know, if you look at the particular, another um, Catherine Scott and another arachnologist whose name I'm forgetting at the moment started a Twitter account called Recluse or Not, looking at, basically people tweet them photos of spiders and ask, Recluse or Not? And almost always the ones that are labeled as brown recluse are like a wolf spider, which they're really just there to like eat cockroaches and crickets and other like bugs that would actually like be pests in our house they're literally just trying to help and people really go after them yeah so that's my my suggestion for like a spider that like basically is incapable of causing any lasting harm even like barely causing like temporary harm That is really gone after like a lot
1: that's a shame because i've actually like i i, I grew up with I wouldn't say spider phobia, but definitely like negative ideas of spiders. Yeah,
0: a lot of and us do. A lot I, of us do. My family did. You know, it's things that we're taught from like, as soon as we start getting any sort of like media, or as soon as we're like old enough to like really like get in ideas from the external world, it, that it just starts.
1: Yeah, society does start off pretty early between spiders, snakes, you know, toads giving you warts, like the whole gamut of things that are taught to us at a young age that are just wrong. And it's so weird because I actually, I do remember being afraid when I saw wolf spiders, but surprisingly, I don't think anybody ever told me that wolf spiders were bad. We did have a shed when we lived in Virginia that my parents swear were full of brown recluses. I don't know if that's ever true or not, but... You know they swore up and down that these awful spiders were in there and i remember seeing wolf spiders and my parents were like oh that's that's fine that's whatever and just like walking away from it and i'm like are you sure <laughs> like, you guys you guys rail against all these different kinds of spiders but you know they would they would you know they would be in our grass during the summertime and we would yeah. see them and um i i mean i thought they were interesting looking i thought the i honestly thought for the longest time they were just baby tarantulas <laughs> that was a thing that's what i associated them with. Yeah. So i'm surprised to hear how venomous people are against them. That's really disappointing cuz you know, i i didn't grow up with any spider trauma against <laughs> wolf spiders.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I hear a lot about people because like they they're one of the spiders that like because they kind of wander at night. I find that people at least from like my conversations report having these really scary encounters where like they go to their basement, they turn on the light and like a wolf spider's like Oh my God, who turned on light and just like dashes across the floor? Because they can move quickly when they want to. And I think that is a startling thing to see if you're not prepared for it. And I think because of that, people have these might have these uh these negative experiences, negative perceptions and experiences that like build into this this kind of hate for them.
1: Which and, is a shame. And it doesn't help that the spider phobia is reinforced by our society, unfortunately. Yeah. Like it's acceptable to say, you know like the memes where it's like, oh, I saw a spider in my house. I guess I have to burn my house down. It's like that. I can't. It seems funny, but it's super harmful to spiders and other invertebrates living in or around your house.
0: Like that idea has literally led to like destruction and injury because people will see that meme be fed all of this fear and then like try to burn a spider Um, And the spider will run away, and their house will literally burn down when it was a harmless animal that literally just wanted to get away from you, you know? And so, like, people are, like, suffering because of this fear. People are avoiding going outdoors. People are scared of going to the basements. People don't want to go into nature because they're afraid of an animal that they really, based on, like, facts and reasoning, there's nothing to be scared of there, obviously, phobias are an emotional thing and not necessarily a fact-based thing, but it is, you can expand your world and enjoy your world better if you're able to overcome that. And so I think for a lot of people, I mean, I've heard a lot of successful spider scientists who started off with arachnophobia and through learning a little bit about the animal piece by piece, became more comfortable with them and now love them.
1: Dr. Um, Alexander. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also uh, the other one that I'm, I know is one of the best jumping spider researchers is Dr. Gosh, what's her last name? I think Fiona Cross is her full name. Dr. Fiona Cross from New Zealand used to have arachnophobia, and is now like one of the experts on one of the jump, smartest jumping spider species.
1: And stuff. That's amazing. You can go,
0: you know, you can really turn that around and a lot of people have. And hopefully some of our listeners will take that to heart. If anything comes out of this, I hope that is one yeah. of the things.
1: I agree. I, I I certainly hope so. I'm hoping in doing all of this that, um, especially since, you know, my my interview with Dr. Alexander, she actually expressed that she did not like spiders, that she had some of the I'm not sure. I can't remember quite if she said fear, but definitely like she she wasn't a big fan of spiders and it wasn't her thing. And then she went on this project, got exposed. And it's, it's, it's such a common thing where it's like the more you know and understand about an animal, the less likely you are to be afraid of it. It's such a common way to combat fear of animals. It, and it's like you don't have to love them. You don't have to be best friends with them. You just have to know enough about them to respect their right to live and exist in a space because they are ecologically important and not do violent things to them or have violence result from your reactions to them it's yeah pretty basic
0: yeah i I mean i used to be scared of slugs that was the one for me i was terrified of them i like couldn't i would my babies and like I'm still, like, you know, this still slightly gross me out, but they're also really cool, and, like, I've learned a lot about them, and I can appreciate them, and I may not want to handle one, but I will photograph them. They look really cool up close, and that's through learning about, you know, what they are and what they do and seeing the cool things about them, even though there is a, there is a little, like, gross gooeyness to it. Um, but, hey, that's just, that, that's all animals. Like, just because, and I think this is a nice universe, like, just because you have a fear of how an animal looks or how you think it might behave, that's never a good enough reason by itself to hurt that animal. That is something that I, I really wish we, like as a society, learned a lot more growing up because it's, you know, there's a lot of people that, that that's just not, that the opposite is what they hear. You know, they, these animals look scary and evil, and so it's okay to hurt them. I'm like, That's never true.
1: No, I, I literally just posted like a nine tweet rant about rattlesnakes for that very reason. Uh, yeah. If you created your own version of Spider Man, what type of spider would you model his abilities after?
0: Okay, so I'm going to try to be brief uh, because I do have an entire scrawled, double sided, po- uh, like little index card where I wrote down my Spider Man OC story after watching into the Spider-Verse two years ago, because that movie was amazing. And I love the idea of like, representing the diversity of spiders. There's like 50,000 species in different types of spider people, people who bring their own diversity to that idea. And so I, this is of course, because it is is loosely based on kind of a life that I had slash I wish I had Uh, But this is a version of Spider-Man that um, ends up becoming a spider scientist. So this is a Spider-Man that in college doesn't know what they're going to do, kind of likes animals, and is applying to grad school but like has no idea what they want to study. And they end up while studying abroad being bitten by a trapdoor spider. This is a spider that that is part of the group, or some trapdoor spiders, and in, in this one in particular, is part of the most ancient group of spiders, so closest to the ancestor of all spiders. And so the, our spider person, in this case, stumbles, falls, triggers the trapdoor, the spider comes out, and it's been hit by radiation from, uh, I think in the story I put, uh, they're studying abroad Japan, and it's the uh, Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant, because I did study abroad in Japan. The spider bites them. The, and then they get the, like, Spider-Man mutation thing going on. But the cool thing is they've got, they, the, the spider that they have is the ancestor of all spiders. So they have, like, the most basic spider abilities, which are, you know, sensitive to vibration, really fast reaction times. But unlike some spider people, they can't, like, make their own web. It's very simple. Or, you know, they they, they don't have, like, all these advanced abilities, or they don't know how to use them yet. And so... In this version, my Spider-Man decides to go to grad school to study spider prey capture. How different spiders have evolved to capture their prey in order to become a better superhero by learning about different types of spiders. And so they end up in their lab, they um, meet another grad student who's studying silk. And that person ends up building like their like uh, silk shooters. And so they become this like scientist and like crime fighting duo with like a technology person and like and like Spider-Man. And they in their PhD go around the world meeting different spiders, but then also like using what they've learned to improve like how they take down bad guys. And this is a very long, there's a lot of notes about this. I'm holding up this index card. It is written in tiny little thing, tiny little scripts, and it is double-sided, and, like, it's scribbled in the margins. But, this needs um, to be put out into the universe. This, this can stay on that yeah. index card. Uh, had I any ability to draw humans and not spiders, I would. And there's more details. Uh, I, I came up with the, the name the Spider-Knot, like astronaut but spider, so like someone who explores spiders as like the name for that. this version of Spider-Man. And yeah, I, I there, there's a whole thing about like them dealing with like grad school life and like challenges of like being a person of color in academia, which is that just self-insert. Really. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I love this. Uh, you know, if there's an artist out there that wants to draw this, I have some notes on what their costume would look like, just, I'll just leave that out
1: there. Don't worry, I will definitely be plugging like your Twitter handle, your Instagram handle and stuff, like we we need to hook you up at the Comic Artist. That's that's amazing because it's like Peter Parker is already naturally a nerd in Spider-Man and you somehow Mm. managed to make Spider-Man a bigger nerd than he originally (laughs) was in this incarnation and I love it so much.
0: Like, I love Spider-Man. There's a lot of things I love about the characters, the various Spider-people and like how they fight crime, you know, they're using often like agility and intellect and like problem solving I suppose to just brute strength. But the one thing that I feel like it's missing is like the focus on spiders, right? Like this is your powers are all based on this type of animal. And like, you know, the original Spider-Man logo, the logo was not a spider, it was drawn anatomically incorrectly. Like it didn't depict a spider. And I think you could get so much more out of adding in a love for the animal that like gave you your powers. And uh, yeah, that that's what I've always kind of wanted from that.
1: That's so perfect. I love everything yeah. about that answer. <laughs> okay, so final question.
0: Yeah, let's wrap up.
1: Are you a Lucas the Spider fan?
0: <laughs> I get this question a lot because Lucas the Spider, if people somehow don't know it, is this really cute uh, 3D animated jumping spider that introduced a lot of people to spiders being cute. And on that level, I love what they're what it's doing, everything about how people have like responded to this, this person creating this whole character of an adorable jumping spider, kind of just being timid and exploring things. I'll be honest, for me, the the Lucas the Spider model like, that they use for the 3D model is like heavily kind of anthropomorphized in in some ways. Like it, it's it's like re-engineered to be hyper cute and therefore it looks a little bit less like a jumping spider to me which to me makes it less cute um and that's just like because i love jumping spiders and like the the shape the slight shape change i know like it works for a lot of people and it helps them connect the spider i just want to see a jumping spider like they, they are already such cool animals to me that like that slight departure from them kind of has the opposite of the intended effect, but I, like, there's so many people that have talked to me that they were able to connect with spiders through Lucas the Spider, and that has been so wonderful to hear. Like, anything that's getting people closer to spiders makes me happier. Yeah, you've got one right there, a little Lucas the Spider plush, and, like, that's great. If that's what is working for people, I'm, I'm all there for it.
1: I don't know. I'm pretty jealous of your Habernatus uh, plushie oh. that you had in one of your videos. I need to get my hands on one of those. That looked really cool.
0: It's 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 custom made and it's very cute and I love it. And and like the colors are like very close to accurate and it's like articulated. It's got all the pedipals and everything. Yeah, th- this makes me very happy. For the audio listener, I have a little felt model that's about like like my hand width size of the species that I studied that I got commissioned by an artist on Etsy who's sadly no longer active or else I would plug them now. Uh, And it is one of my favorite things because it's the species that I study, but like, instead of being a centimeter long, they are the size of my hand and it's just wonderful.
1: It's amazing. Well, I'll plug where they can see that because I know it's in some of your videos, but thank you so much for joining me. This was a lot of fun. I love that, you know, you introduced me to this concept of you know, a Racktober, as I was asking you to do an interview in October, and I was like, Oh, my God, I want to do all all (laughs) the spider interviews now. It's, it's amazing. And I appreciate your time so much.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm sorry, I have to run. But this is my other plug. Go, okay, first plug, go out and and like meet a spider and just like, check it out, because they're awesome. But two, go to therapy, it's very helpful. And it's where I'm going now and it helps me deal with this year, but also my life. If you are, if you can, if you have the healthcare situation to do so, please go to therapy. It is very good for you. And now I need to go from this video call to that video call. Um, But thank you, Kristen, so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited to see all the other interviews that you have for this month. I'm gonna be listening to them all. So thanks again. And yeah, take care everybody.
1: All right, you too. Have a good therapy session.
0: Thank you. (laughs) Bye.
1: Bye. So that was a wrap for the interview. It was so much fun talking to him and hearing some of his perspectives. And it was really cool listening, for me, listening to him explain the inspiration behind his spider sticker and the fact that there is so much thought that went into the species that he selected and how ideal it is to really help represent the message he was trying to tell. I was absolutely uh, ecstatic about that. And a lot of the other information he shared, if you couldn't tell, it was uh, it was really hard being on the other side of that interview and not just, you know, squealing over some of the stuff he said. It was amazing. But I hope that, again, for the listener who may not be a huge fan of spiders, that his obvious passion and enthusiasm for spiders was a little bit contagious and maybe inspire some of y'all to go out and maybe do a little bit more reading and try to come to a better understanding of spiders. And again, it's not about loving them and wanting to hold them and do things with them. It's really just about respecting an animal and its right to exist in its space. These animals do incredible things for us, whether we acknowledge it or not. I had a very large spotted orb weaver on my back porch this year that I've brought up multiple times and will bring it multiple times again probably but she literally caught like dozens of mosquitoes in her web and even if she didn't do that service for me in particular I can still appreciate that these animals have spent many millions of years evolving to get to this point and to the fill these niches and that they should be here they're supposed to be here and that's fine so thank you all so much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to my email, thenaturalist at thenaggingnaturalist.com and check out my website, thenaggingnaturalist.com. On social media, you can find The Nagging Naturalist on Facebook and Instagram, as well as on Twitter under the handle at nag underscore naturalist. You can leave me reviews on Apple Podcast and podchaser.com to help support the podcast. And if you love learning about wildlife and don't want to wait for another episode, check out some of these other really awesome wildlife podcasts. All Creatures Podcast, Crittercast, The Wildlife, Just the Zoo of Us, Animals to the Max, Varmints, The Amazing Wildlife Podcast, The Casual Birder, What Are You Podcast, The Songbirding Podcast, The Cicada Lounge, and Strange Animals Podcast, which are all safe for work. There's also Keeper Chat, which is a fantastic podcast, but it is definitely not safe for work. Also, there's some really great podcasts you can check out that discuss other sciences, or just science in general, which can have some overlap with wildlife. There's Petri Dish, Planthropology, Bald Scientist, Dear Grad Student, Better Than Human, Curiosity Cake, Mad Scientist, What Are You Going to Do With That? podcast, Papa PhD, Breaking Math, Curiosity Killed the Rat, That's What I Call Science, and The Scientist Podcast. And that's two T's at the end of Scientist. (laughs) Some of these podcasts are and aren't safe for work, petri dish, so be sure to double check if that's a concern. I'm also on a non-wildlife podcast called The Legend of Portalcast, which discusses the world of Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. Again, thank you all so much for listening, and I'll be back next week with more for Racktober.